0: Hey, before you hang up, say this. This is Steve Pavlina and you're listening to Vroom Vroom Veer.
1: Do you want me to say it like that? (laughs) You say it it how Steve says it. Okay. This is Steve Pavlina and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer.
2: Perfect.
0: Good. Thanks, brother. (laughs) Later.
1: Okay. All right. Take care.
2: (laughs) Bye. Bye. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Tim Addis, thank you so much
0: for being on Vroom Vroom Veer, and welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: It's great, and thank you for having me on the show. I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
0: You're welcome, and uh, again, thanks for being here. Yeah, so Vroom Vroom Veer, right? Who came up with that goofy name? I'm not telling. I don't know. (laughs) know. Well, they were branding specialists, and and I don't know why it tickled my fancy, but I love it.
1: (laughs) Are they American?
0: Uh, they are American. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I don't know. I I I dig it. You know, because you- it's it's like a metaphor for transition.
1: Do you get a lot of uh, requests for their information? <laughs> I'm just curious. Requests for their information. <laughs> yeah, the the branding specialists. Uh, no. Oh, just curious. Ah, <laughs> uh, it sounds
0: like you don't like my brand. Are you pooping on my brand?
1: I am definitely not. Okay. Um, you know, <laughs> just, I'm going to call you the three V's.
0: That's what I call myself. V V V V V triple dot com. See, that's that's my shortcut domain. Yeah, I love that. Do you? Do you like that? Okay. All right. So let's get into the Kim Addis um, life now. So you are the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching and Journal Engine Software. You already knew that. You're an author, speaker, entrepreneur, coach, and everybody can freak out at mother of five. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. How, how do you have any time at all? Um, and your website is at frameofmindcoaching.com. So that's what you got going on now. And we'll get to that as we go. But let's go back in time and get into the Kim Addis uh, superhero origin story and say, what were you like as little Kim in high school?
1: Well, I'll give you little Kim before high school. How's sure. that? Yeah, yeah. So little Kim was this kid who used to uh, sit at home and look out the window and watch the other kids play. huh really wishing to be a part of it but absolutely not stepping foot outside. Oh um, wow there yeah so I was totally shy um, kind of I was an observer, always always an observer mm. but not that comfortable necessarily really being out there and putting myself in the middle of social situations And to a great extent, although no one would ever know it, that still kind of exists inside of me
0: Sure. You've got that I feel like I'm an alien anthropologist on this strange planet, <laughs>
1: Well, no no, no? Because, oh. because okay, like, I don't let discomfort really get in my way at all, okay, right so like i'm <laughs> I've adapted to my environment, you could say, sure, but that's who I was when I was a kid, for I, sure
0: that I was understand me. I yeah. understand, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and I think, hmm, I'm trying to think, I don't think I ever had that situation in my mind. I was always the you know the uh, the dynamics of personality are fascinating to me. So, and I know you studied psychology, so I was like the youngest of three. Me too? See, ooh, interesting. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and we're like completely sort of different anyway. And so I was the kid craving attention.
1: Ah, interesting. Right? <laughs> well, uh, well. here, so so. maybe this part plays a role in it. I came 13 years after my brother, so it was kind of uh,
0: like yeah, I was fun. still
1: mm. the the single child, like right. the first child, right? right it was right. that kind of dynamic. Having said that, of the three of us, I'm by far the most social. Interesting. So go, go and figure that out.
0: Right, right, <laughs> so, yes. We would have yeah. to get a whole new Freud. Just
1: for that. <laughs> That's right, a whole new Freud. Modern Freud. A
0: modern Freud. That's uh, right. Okay. So you were shy when you were a little girl. Yeah. And, and then in high school, yeah.
1: like things sort of started to change. I got involved in students' council. I was in my school play. And, you know, one of the greatest characteristics or the most prominent. Characteristics about me is that I had friends in all divisions. You know, so how there were like mm. little pockets of people at the time, yes. right? Yes, yes. So there was the super intelligent group, there was the students' council group, there was the mm-hmm. preppy group, there right. was the stoner group, there, you know, there were just the Jocks rock and, and roll nerds
0: group, yeah, and whatever. Exactly. And, yes, yes.
1: and I had friends in all of them. All right. And the defining feature about me is that there were People in each of those groups who were who migrated towards me secretly and privately to share their (laughs) lives. You were
0: you were the spy ambassador.
1: I wasn't the spy ambassador. I was the, you know, how people go and tell Lucy their their secrets for five cents and get their advi- get Lucy's <laughs> advice. School psychologist. Peanuts. Yeah, that was me. That's and awesome. Then, um, that was me. And so I, I remember, uh, so I grew up in Montreal. And in Montreal, you start high school in grade seven. Okay. And so at lunchtime, it was the grade sevens and eights who ate together. And then nines, tens, and elevens ate together too. So I know it's all messed up. It's, can- it's Canada. What can I tell? You. So um, in grade seven, so I'm still that shy kid, right? And I made this friend and at lunchtime, you ate lunch. And then after lunch, you would walk around the hallways and we had a circle. So we walk around the circle. And I remember there was this one girl who was in grade eight and she looked very different to me. Like up until then, I was very insulated, very isolated, very protected, very, you know, under my mom's Wing kind of thing. And there was this girl. She had very, very thin hair. She uh, was very tall, extremely thin, and she was missing a tooth. And I just kind of looked at her like, wow, I've never really seen anyone like that before. And as she passed by me, like there was an odor that came from her that was like the odor of cigarettes. Mm. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) you know, whoa. What's that? What's that? Who so is that? I remember kind of like looking at her with these big eyes, and she, she caught me doing that. And she's like, What are you looking at? And, uh, and I, I, like, I got into like this state of terror, and she cornered me. And all of a sudden, there were all these people around us. This wow. is a true story. All these people I believe around you. Us, And she was ready to beat me up because I gave her a look. Wow. Right? And my look was really like a look of, you know, just being exposed to something totally new. Right. Mm-hmm. And she interpreted it as a look of disdain, a look of judgment, a look of whatever it was that she was interpreting. Right. 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 Anyway, so I was there cowering in my corner. Um, <laughs> my friend was beside me. Her friend was beside her. And there was this group of people backing her up, you know. And then finally, I don't know who it was that stepped in and said, Leave her alone. Like, she, you know, like, don't pick sleever alone and for whatever reason I got out of that one right yeah and I'm not exactly the scrappy type but so like it was right. like whoa, phew like breathe sigh of relief and I was like shaking it really really upset me it totally completely and utterly knocked me over
0: yeah right? it, well it yeah they, me. you don't and know
1: <laughs> and, and so I, I started to have dreams about her. Wow. Her name was Sally And I dreamt about her for the next five years of oh, my geez. life. Oh, jeez. Wow. And here's how that dream went. The dream <laughs> was that we were on a roller coaster and I was sitting beside her and I was talking to her about changing her life, that she didn't need to be this way. That was the dream.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. And guess wow. what? you wanted to I'm be a so psychologist? So when, yeah, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's amazing,
1: and that's an absolute true story. I believe you. Yeah.
0: So you kind of had uh, a really good idea of what you wanted to do uh, pretty early. That's you know, grade seven. Have... We'd say seventh grade, but grade seven. That's that's
1: yeah. pretty young. So I didn't have a good idea. I had a natural predisposition and natural like a draw to this stuff right so it wasn't like okay yeah I did I went to school I got an undergraduate degree in psychology but that's not enough to become a psychologist you know right right and I wasn't you know it just it wasn't such a neatly tied up bow that I went from there to psychology or there to coaching Mm. there was you know a journey in between so no uh, I get
0: that but yeah I I understand you actually had like more of a uh yeah what what you said, that sort of like that uh skill set that was like there hanging out in the background, right? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Like yeah, yeah. always in right. every little uh Right.
0: It's like you're built for it, you know. A
1: hundred percent. It's in my DNA. The
0: Kim O S was, was made for this.
1: There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you
0: go. <laughs> I love that. You know, and um you're the first person that answered that question of what you were like, and then you said, "Well, I kind of hung out with a lot of different groups, and I mixed and mingled a lot." That yeah. was me. I did that too. Yeah, that's a little weird because it's well, it pretty rare. Fun. Yeah, it's way more fun. I mean, I had my core group of friends, but some of them were more nerdy, and some of them were a little bit more no- motorhead. And and you know, we all dabbled in weed for a while, you know, right. <laughs> and became stoners for a little bit, you know. So it was like. Yeah, we were like dabblers for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it was that the coolest people in all of their groups would tell me their secrets. And so, like, mm. I felt like, you know, the most. Right, right, right. You know, like, I felt privileged, you could say. Mm. That's
0: pretty cool, though. Yeah. See, now I didn't really, I don't remember acting in the counselor coach capacity. <laughs> that never no. really had, no, no, later on it did. You know, but not not in uh, middle school or high school. Uh, I was just more trying to be class comedian. Mm, well, I, 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 I can yeah, see that. I, I also <laughs> did. Uh, I also did uh, two plays, two musicals in high school too.
1: Me too. Which ones did you do?
0: Uh, let's see. My junior year, I was Little Abner and Little Abner. So that was oh. that was pretty scary. Why? Uh well. I, I I did it and it was amazing, but just for like two hours after I realized I was going to be like the guy in the Uh show that freaked me out. And then I was like, but I really want to do it (laughs) and it was really fun, you know? Uh, and then, and then the next year we did, um, how does, how to succeed in business without really trying? It's this old musical. It's hilarious. It's really funny. It's actually, it might still be on Netflix. There's a movie version. But I played, instead of the uh, the lead, I played the bad guy, which was even way more fun.
1: I don't know. You don't seem like the bad guy type. It was
0: fun, though. No, I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, playing it was fun. <laughs> okay. 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 So, let's fast forward a little bit. So, then you decide to go to school, right? and you study you get your BA in psychology what was your undergraduate days like
1: um, honestly, I so I grew up in Montreal and I decided I wanted to be independent and I found some way to move out <laughs> and I ended up in Ottawa. I'm skipping a lot of details there. <laughs> uh, I, That's okay. I, uh, I ended up in edit as
0: you as you please.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is about two hours away from Montreal. I figure it's far enough and close enough, just you know. And right. I lived in residence and I didn't really connect with anybody in residence, but I met my I I went to this party. I met this guy and I ended up getting married at the age of 20. Wow. Um, and, uh, and so my undergrad years were just really about that relationship and getting my degree. And so all of a sudden I was this, in this really, really intense relationship. It, it escalated quickly, it was very intense. And I, you know, I'm at the time met my, my match, my soulmate at the time.
0: <laughs> That's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, I say at the time, I'm no longer married to him.
0: <laughs> I kind of I got a. Uh, that's yeah. going to be a Veer story, I'm sure. Yeah, there you
1: go. <laughs> Especially
0: when you get married at 20. I got lucky. I got married at 23, and I'm still married to the same person. So
1: way to go! <laughs> it's
0: pretty rare. Yeah, that you. Most people consider those practice marriages. <laughs>
1: that would be accurate, except I was practicing for a very long time. Ah, yeah. Okay, Fifteen well, years later, I was wow. you know at the end wow. of my practice run.
0: Let's let's get into that in a bit, but I wanna okay. I wanna I did a, a bachelor's degree in psychology too. Okay. And what I learned mo- most was that I didn't want to have a job in psychology.
1: Oh interesting <laughs> Why
0: is that um well i did uh, my bachelor i didn't finish my bachelor's degree until after I retired from the air force, so I was like thirty eight thirty nine age okay and I went to this this university called University of phoenix and it's it's a non traditional for profit school okay and um there it's a lot different, but one of the things that I liked was they require all of the professors to be working in the industry that they're teaching. Yep. So all of the folks that were teaching my classes uh were working in some version of psychology. So one guy did research, one was a clinical psychologist for the county in uh Orange County here in California, and then there was like this uh advocate that worked in the school system. There was a lot of people that were in the school system and I was just like, man, I don't want any of these jobs, <laughs> no, mm-hmm. no, and basically, it was they were just. It was the the undergrad version. Uh, yeah, you're learning the book stuff and you're writing papers, but over overlaying all of that was there. It's just one after another they're pitching, this is what you're going to get your, you're, you're going to, this is what you're going to do your real work in and what you're going to focus on in psychology, you know, as like, they're all pitching each version of what you can do in psychology. Right. And you're in your post-grad kind of, or after you get your undergrad done. And I didn't want to do any of them. So yeah, I was like, So "Mm, where did you go after that? Maybe I'll be a coach. Uh, you know, I'm not doing anything really to tell you the truth. I'm a podcast host and a uh, retired Air Force guy. And oh. um, and I do temp work if my m- wife gets mad at me for sitting around the house too much. Oh,
1: huh. know what kind of temp work? <laughs> Maybe I need a temp person.
0: IT mostly.
1: Oh, really? Yeah.
0: I know. I've done so many different things. I actually got a, a hired uh, for a job uh, after I was out of the Air Force um, because they wanted somebody that was – technical but not a computer geek does that make sense
1: yeah <laughs> someone who could speak english yeah not just yes yeah not just uh technical lingo
0: right right and somebody who's a little bit more personable than the you know your yeah. typical computer geek right right so yeah so anyway let's get into your um your next move so what what, what came after your undergrad study
1: so under after that I uh, I'm uh, you could call me a serial entrepreneur and I started a balloon business. <laughs> I was a balloon was, business. Yeah, All right. I was twenty years old. I had just gotten married. I graduated with my undergraduate degree and I now needed to work. So I worked for the summer at a balloon company, like a balloon store. Okay. And they gave me a job and the job was to take a list of names who had been at a wedding show and call them to see if they wanted balloons for their wedding. It was cold. <laughs> Cold calling, right?
0: Ouch. And okay. I
1: was so good at it. Really? Yeah. I got all these appointments and I'm like, why am I doing this for them? I could be doing <laughs> this for myself. I don't know how to make decorations, but I'll figure that out later.
0: Wow. So, so you just realized you were really good at cold calling and selling on the phone.
1: Yeah. And, it, you know, other people might get, un, you know, uncomfortable with it. But for me, it was just like easy and fun and it was better than... I don't know, being in the store and you know right. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, that's, I, and a, that's I, amazing.
0: I, yeah, you're lucky that you uh, you were you gravitated to it that because that's a very valuable skill being a salesperson so, on the phone, not afraid of cold calling. Yeah, not wow. afraid
1: at all. And so and, and I. Like um, <laughs> I decided to start my own balloon company called The Fun Factory. Okay. And for a couple of years, I mean, we were doing it full time. Uh, basically, we were making balloon decorations for people's weddings and parties and bar mitzvahs and engagement events and whatever. It was corporate events, et cetera. And so uh, during the week, I would be selling and prepping. And on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sundays, we'd be going to halls pretty much from the morning till the night making balloon decorations and it was great it was fun and i was very very good at sales i would sell like 95% of the people that i would in, uh, interact with wow and uh, and i was very young I, re- I remember looking in the mirror going man i look a little young like do i have credibility i'm going to go buy glasses so i look a little older <laughs> you
0: wanted to get a little librarian action going
1: that's on. right <laughs> so I, I did that, and um, and the company grew and the business grew, but it was very very labor intensive. Like I remember, where I would come home at night with these massive blisters on my fingers just from tying up all these balloons.
0: Wow. wow. Yeah.
1: And I thought to myself, this is great. How do we grow this business? If we can grow it, let's do that. But if I and my husband said, you know, have you ever thought about getting your master's degree? And at the time, I'm like wow, a master's degree. Like I just never imagined myself in the master's level category, right? And I thought, you know what? If I could get my master's degree, forget about balloons. Right. So, So we took all of our inventory, we sold all of our inventory, and I went to do a master's degree in business. And I remember at the time, the application process was, you know, you had to fill out all these forms, you had to do your GMAT, you had to do all that stuff. Mm. But in the application, I added an extra package to the application, which was a stack full of thank you letters from my clients. Right. That said, you know, thank you for the incredible job you did on my balloons. Basically, right, right,
0: right. Yeah, you and had just business say, testimonials. Basically. Exactly. Hey, yeah. I,
1: you know, I have fine.
0: I know how to do business already, Mister Miss MBA.
1: Exactly. Like, everybody right. else came from the corporate world, and here I was, this you know, little you know, gung ho, super enthusiastic. Uh, young person. And right. I got accepted. I was very young. And how old I,
0: were you then when you did that? At that
1: point, I think I was 20, 20. Yeah, maybe 22, something like wow. that.
0: Still pretty young.
1: Still pretty young. So 22, 23. Right. I uh, I did my MBA. I graduated. I got a job with a company as their marketing manager of some software company. Um, I hated it. ended up but i think i'd last there for two years how did you
0: like the mba experience
1: i loved it but i was you did love it i was way too young i just didn't have enough experience okay yeah so that's not a great time for someone to do their mba if i would make a recommendation to anybody it would be really go out get some work experience come back five or even ten years later
0: yeah i agree If you're going to do it anyway, because there's there's a sort of a anti-MBA movement out there because it's like there's a lot of people that get MBAs and say it's good information, but it's kind of old and outdated. And I don't know. I, I don't have an MBA, so I can't say that. Yeah.
1: Well I mean it's been a long time you know right. I'm old now but but uh, <laughs> there, it, there was at. a lot of theory you know it's not like I, what I learned I was able to go back and instantly apply into my business right. today might be different today the conversation on strategy might be really applicable right. so I don't know I today if I had to do a project I'd do it related to my business so it would be very applicable
0: right 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 so yeah. I just
1: think that I just think that also MBAs typically reflect corporate environments as opposed to entrepreneurial environments. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So,
1: so, um, so what happened after that? We ended up moving to Toronto. My husband at the time wanted to come and do his uh, PhD. Okay. And so we ended up in Toronto. I was pregnant and I decided to start a new company. Um, (laughs) So I I started a company and we ended up building software. We ended up building simulation-based assessments. And the purpose of those assessments was to help companies make better hiring decisions. Oh, neat. Yeah. So at the time, it was pretty leading edge, right? I mean, it was many, many years ago, like really 20 years ago.
2: Wow.
1: So around there. And so we, um, we, we, we grew this company and we ended up building a series of assessments that would help companies select from amongst a bunch of recruits, it would help them do some recruiting too. And so the assessments were a combination of... Uh, simulations where they could test their skill sets and we could see how they perform in any given work environment. Right. It was testing their IQ and it was testing their personality. And that was a really very important part of my history because we collected data from like hundreds of thousands of people. And wow. there was one interesting piece of information that surfaced as a result of all that data. And it was that those people who were more likely to succeed in any job in any, at any level in any industry had a higher level of emotional resilience than other people. Yeah. And so that was a critical piece of information. Right. You know, what does that mean? What does it mean to have a high degree of emotional resilience? It's the ability to, to bounce back from adversity with greater speed and agility than the norm and to be able to leverage the adversity.
0: It's the um, you ever do you remember the movie Heartbreak Ridge?
1: I can't say that I do.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Be honest. I'm gonna do a
0: I'm gonna do an impersonation of uh, Clint Eastwood now. Okay. And and I hope you like it. <laughs> so he was a gunnery sergeant in the Marines, right? And uh, and they go to the Falklands or something, right? And uh, and he's this old grizzled like uh, Vietnam vet. And uh and he says, You're a marine, you improvise, you adapt, you overcome. Right? There you go. <laughs> so whenever anybody talks about emotional resilience, I always think about that. You know, it's it's oh. it's very um, you know, it's like as soon as a plan in the military goes wrong, then you have to adapt and change and improvise and and complete your mission, you know. So right. yeah. Me me being in the military, I had to deal with those sorts of environments all the time. So I get it.
1: So it's a relatability thing. It's a
0: relatability with. thing. Yes. Yeah. So yeah.
1: I, I honestly and, and earnestly cannot exactly relate to the military, but That's I okay. agree with you <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs>
0: people get a lot of weird ideas about what the military is like and, and not like. And, you know, uh-huh. so... So I'm still adapting to being a civilian. You know? uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I like exposing the fact that, you know, not all military people are sort of like the square cut type people, you know.
1: Right. I got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're not all stiff.
0: That's not, they're not all stiff. A lot of them are, but not all of them.
1: I understand. Okay. So
0: <laughs> moving so that, on. Yes.
1: That piece of information was super That's huge.
0: Yeah. Because- and that came out in data.
1: That came out in data and what and so that was really a, uh, an important finding in me determining deciding to start frame of mind coaching that was a huge piece of it because uh, basically so so back to my personal life right so I ran that business the software company with two partners. One of them is my ex-husband.
0: Okay. Uh, so
1: our marriage came to a grinding halt. We thought we could work together, but that was a big, huge, massive mistake. Yeah. And um, and then everything kind of exploded on me, and uh, I ended up selling my part in the business and trying to kind of figure out my life after that. And uh, it was a very tough time, and I ended up getting- And how many
0: kids did you have at this point? So this is 15 two. years down the road?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I had two kids.
0: Okay. All right.
1: And they were young. Yeah. Uh, right. My son was seven. My daughter was four.
0: Okay. Wow. Uh, and yeah, that's so, that's rough. So you simultaneously yeah. get divorced and sell a, a half or a third of a business.
1: Well, it was yeah, whatever It was, whatever almost, it yeah. was like forty-two percent. Okay. Let's call it that. Okay. And and so I found myself needing to figure out who I was, what I was about, what I represented. Like I started that other business and all of a sudden, you know, I had wrapped up so much of my identity in that business and all of a sudden that was gone. And because I got married so young, I didn't really know or understand the dating scene. And so like there was so much I had to learn. I had to, you know, my kids uh, struggled at the beginning with the divorce, and so all of a sudden I had these kids who were behaving in very strange ways, and I had to figure that out quickly too. And I had to deal with the disappointment, um, you know, the insecurity, all the you wide had a range lot of, of emotions. Em-
0: emotions to process. Yeah, yes,
1: exactly. And so one yeah. of the things I did was I started to journal, and I journaled. You could mm. say morning, noon, and night. First wow. of all, just to put the the intensity of the of the emotions down, and then I use my journal to really start to focus on what I wanted.
0: Yeah, and so I journaled for a while. Have you ever heard of um, oh the Artist's Way?
1: Of course, of course. Yeah, that's that, a great program.
0: You know, I never got past you know just write those morning pages. Yeah. Uh, after I got I, I did that, and then I was like okay I'm done with the book but I really like doing the morning pages I have to get back to it I kind of traded that in for breakfast and snuggling but I want to I want to get back to morning pages
1: I think snuggling is just as important as morning pages and breakfast
0: is is, is important too so you know know. I'm gonna do probably snuggle (laughs) breakfast then morning pages yeah there you go go. I'm with you. I don't want to throw anything away. I just need to add the the journaling back in. Yeah.
1: You just got to squeeze one more thing.
0: It's not hard. I can do it.
1: Plus you could do night pages. Why? Who says they have to be morning? That's true. Right. But, um, and so, so all of this stuff was happening to me and I got recruited by a coaching company. Uh, a local coaching company. They knew of my other work. I, you know, I did a pretty good job of networking. And so they asked me to come and be their VP of marketing. Wow. And, so, um, and, and that was great, except my idea of marketing and their idea of marketing are two different things. And for anyone who's listening, who's an entrepreneur, it's not that easy for an entrepreneur to go and work in corporate environments. It just doesn't work.
0: No. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a recurring theme on yeah. this and many shows that it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It's not a, right. it your mindset, fit. your frame of mind. <laughs> yes. It does not. Yeah. Because, because corporate is all about like structure and hierarchy and one-upmanship and be careful what you say and don't piss off this person. And yeah, it's a completely different environment. Right. Right. Uh, Unfortunately, I got, I got kind of good at it because you know, you have, it's like a survival thing, you know, it's not like I'm trying to get good at it, but you know, at some point I found myself just, well, I guess I'll stay in until I can retire. That'd be cool. So you, you have to, you know, come up with some coping skills.
1: So are you saying that corporate environments are just like being in the army?
0: It's exact. Well, you know, I didn't know this until I got out, but the, it is eerily similar. It's basically the same because corporations didn't exist as they do now. Um, and when they started building these gigantic companies, the, the only organizations that, they, that existed that were big with lots of people was the military. So uh-huh. that's where, you know, the org chart and corporations, that's where that came from. It came from the military. We made it. <laughs> I see. Yeah. So it's you're not, the it's, ones. it's not similar. <laughs> it's basically the same. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that's different is is when you're in the military, everything that you do wrong could be a federal crime. That's that's right. the big thing that's different. <laughs>
1: that's, that's a huge thing.
0: It is a huge thing. Yeah. So anyway. Yes, so, I, I agree with you, though that that yeah, being an entrepreneur, you you uh, you have a different mindset.
1: Right, you totally do. So I didn't, I didn't really last there, you could say. Um, and at the same time, I got a glimpse of the the coaching world, and I got a glimpse of the way that coaching is done out there. And for whatever reason, that glimpse made me feel like there's something wrong with that picture. Yeah. <laughs> um, I saw how they were doing coaching, and it was an accountability model of coaching, and the idea was to help people reach their goals by uh, taking small actions that incrementally would help them achieve their goals. And uh, the coach's job was to hold them accountable to those actions. And while in theory that sounds great, I kind of felt like, man, that feels a lot like babysitting to me. Yeah. And You're taking and, and, on
0: too much responsibility as the coach.
1: Well, that's part of it, but yeah. the issue is, and you know, I have a lot of thoughts on this. But the issue is, I felt like people kind of know what they're supposed to do. So true, right? Right, but for yeah. some reason, they're not doing it. So, like, right. if you take you weight get loss this... as an example, we kind of know what we're supposed right. to do, right? Eat right, right. Uh, but for some reason, that is beyond the tactics. It's hard for us to get it done. And mm. so the question is why? And and so I started to relate my experience in this coaching company to what I had learned with all the data we collected through my software company. And I thought, you know what? This is a backwards way of coaching people. What we really need to do is help people build their emotional resilience. And the way we need to do that is by examining their thinking and seeing how their thinking is causing them struggle and pain. And if we can help them address that, if we could look at their thinking patterns and their beliefs and their expectations, if we look at, can look at the relationship between their thinking and their outcomes, now we've changed the game of coaching.
0: I agree. You're and right, so, because it's like, who doesn't want to, you know, lose 10, 20, 30, 40 pounds, right? Exactly.
1: So, <laughs> you know,
0: everybody wants to.
2: <laughs>
1: everybody wants to. Yeah. And so, and so that's when Frame of Mind Coaching was born. And I said, you know what, I'm going to experiment with this idea. And I'm going to run a coaching class. And what I really wanted to do was make sure that my coaching was going to be high impact. It wasn't the kind of coaching that would come and go and everybody would forget it. I really wanted to make sure that this coaching would make a profound difference in, in the lives of those that I coached. Right. And so from the get-go, I said, how do I get into the hearts and minds of my clients? What if I asked them to journal and what if I asked them to share their journals with me?
0: Mm. Now I'm
1: getting a peek inside their heads. Now I'm starting to hear the dialogue that they have with themselves. Now I'm starting to see the stories they tell themselves about the events and circumstances and relationships that they are involved with. Now I'm getting in
0: at a they're you're level, literally getting in their head.
1: <laughs> literally getting in. Their as
0: long head. as they're honest in their in their journaling, even if they're not. Even if they're even if they're not. Wow. Even if they're not. Wow.
1: Because all they need to do is tell me what happened.
0: Oh right. Right. Because right, right. so
1: so there's you know and what they're sharing with me is their interpretation of events, and their interpretation gives me access to the beliefs they live with.
0: Right and it's not in you reading between the lines.
1: Well, I'm I'm you know, I'm at this point, you know, I've been doing this for nearly 11 right, years, right? right. right? So yeah. uh, uh, it's not that I'm reading between the lines. I read and I see very clearly, very often what mm. beliefs they have, and what I do is I say, "Hey, is this how you see the world?" Yeah. And yeah. if they say yes, I say, "Great, that's not really working for you, is it?"
0: Right. How's that working out for you? Right. And oh, by the way, <laughs> you just had—I just had a moment of uh, what was it? Uh, ah, what was the movie? Oh, fight, fight club. Fight club. Yeah, fight club. So how's that working out for you? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. And so
1: and so and really, what I do is I help them see that those the way that they look at things creates uh, paralysis, creates pain, creates struggle, Mm. and that that's something that they willingly and voluntarily take on.
0: Right, right. They get they get stuck, or I we get stuck in these sort of like pleasure pain patterns you know, where it's like, oh, you hit a pain point and then you go out and do some sort of negative Coping behavior—is that the sort of situation you're seeing?
1: Well, sometimes I would okay. say it a little bit differently. I would okay. say that okay. we often engage in behaviors that are designed unconsciously to protect us from pain, except right. that those behaviors prevent us from living the lives we want, prevent us from reaching the goals we want, prevent us from experiencing right. like living the life we want to live.
0: It's 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 sort of like self sabotage at an unconscious level.
1: Correct. Yeah. And so. How do we stop doing that? (laughs) Exactly. How do we stop doing that? We can't stop doing it. Exactly. (laughs) And we can't stop doing it if we're still unconscious. We can't stop doing it if we can't see that we're even doing it. Right. But if you can start to literally, visually see, because I'm asking people to journal. And every time they journal, their journals come back to me, right? I have a team of coaches as well. Yeah. So every time they journal, the journal goes back to their coach who reads and responds. So they're in dialogue with their coach pretty much every day. Right. And so they're wow. doing this personal work of reflection and introspection and really kind of taking a deep dive at how their thinking operates.
0: Mm. And then they're getting, they're getting a double whammy mirror of their stuff basically they're getting they're getting uh, did, a double
1: whammy mirror but they're also making small shifts right over time and those small shifts yield in massive like I ultra am- massive results
0: give it give, give an example of say an ultra massive result without using names or locations uh, <laughs> yeah give please yeah because this, this so, is amazing to me yeah, because I'll i was a personal example. development junkie myself so okay. i love all this stuff
1: so um, I'm working with a gentleman right now. He owns a uh, a very successful business. I w- it doesn't matter what kind. a right. Very successful business. He's uh, physically very tall, very you know broad. He has a lot of presence, and um, he's a very gregarious, outgoing person. But he has a lot of rage. And when he rages, he has a major, major explosions. So wow. he will throw things, break things, punch walls, that type of thing. He's Yikes. not physically violent with people, sort right, of. Right, right. But he sort of. you know <laughs> right? And so but he gets very angry. Right. And Stan, so one yep. of the one of the conversations we've been having is so like what kind of parent are you? And You know, part of it was if his kids were misbehaving, he would um, uh, he would give them a tap on the butt, right? Okay. Um, And he would punish them, and he would yell at them, and he would express to them in no uncertain terms that he was disappointed. Mm. And so we started to work on the thinking associated with this type of behavior. First of all, what behavior are you modeling for your children? And and his little son, four years old, expressed very aggressive behavior. And I said, really? <laughs> right, that's not such a surprise. Right,
0: right. right he's yeah, being his dad. Right, exactly. And so first of
1: all, it was this awareness of the connection between his behavior and his son's behavior. Mm. The second thing we did was we said, what is it that you want? And most people forget. They have no clue. They can't verbalize it and they get lost in that question. Mm. So what do you want for your son? What do you want for your children? Well, I want for them to be well-adjusted, well-behaved. I want them to be confident. I want them to be happy. Right. And I want them to be able to manage themselves effectively. Like, I don't want to have to you know, constantly be on them. Mm-hmm. So when you are constantly on them, do you give them a chance to manage themselves? Not really. <laughs> right.
0: So, uh, at, at what point does he have the aha situation?
1: So no, so he's having the aha every moment. Okay, like every time we talk, and right. every day of the week, every time he journals. So now we're like about four weeks in, right? And he report, and, and and I ask a question. Look, we're four weeks in. I'm asking for some feedback. How's the coaching going? He's like, Oh my god, I feel it. In his words, I feel like a million bucks. What's happening? My son isn't as aggressive. So his behavior with his children, he's done a one hundred and eighty completely, and I didn't have to say, "Here's how you need to behave." I just had to help Point him it out. look at his thinking. Right. But what we so his behavior with his children has changed. Mm-hmm. No more punishment. Mm-hmm. No more hitting.
0: Tirades.
1: N- none of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the rages. Are, have been tamed dramatically. Mm. And they haven't been tamed by putting a straight jacket on him. Mm. They've been tamed by helping him see that when he looks at things differently, he can show up differently. He can interpret what's going on differently because his rage has come from a misinterpretation of what's happening.
0: Yeah. And the best strategy to do it. Right. Right.
1: right. So. His whole entire way of interacting. And
0: you didn't, there was no direct conversation. You just pointed it out, basically.
1: Well, I, I, I mean, over a numerous...
0: Right, uh, right, right, right. A, a just,
1: numerous examples. right wow right?
0: that's amazing <laughs> right, so, like, because you know, it's not so like judgy and in your face methodology no, not at, all. Not not at, at all.
1: all no so like even so there's this four-year-old and I'm whoever's listening might disagree with me but that's fine so a four-year-old kid his son he's like well what do I do it's dinner time and instead of eating dinner he's running around in circles and I say yes and and he says well you're supposed to eat dinner I said why because you say so Right, like now you're going to determine that his biology requires food. Mm. Like, what if someone said you have to eat right now? You need to be hungry. Is mm. that cool? But you're doing that to your children. So what are you doing? You're actually stepping in and and taking over their ability to determine whether or not they're hungry. Is that a healthy thing for you to do for your children?
0: <laughs> right, and 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 so I
1: am literally having them having him completely, uh, look at his job and his role, his relationship with his kids a hundred percent differently.
0: Mm. Wow. Right. And so, yeah, so yeah.
1: What do I do, I want him to sit down. I said, so invite him to sit down, make it fun for him to sit down. Don't make it a punishment. Mm. Engage. Right, him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Make it interesting. Let him know that you love his company. And that if he wants to eat, the food is there. And if not, we're going to clean up and you'll figure it out later. (laughs) right? Honestly.
0: Empowering your children to eat when they're hungry. Give them a little agency in their life.
1: Well, not only that, like, think about this whole concept of obesity. Mm. People eat because it's 12 o'clock. They don't eat because they're hungry.
0: Right. Right. This kind of reminds me of, uh, of sort of like the, uh, the education uh, system that we, we grew up in, too.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's know, all about punishment and control.
0: It's so much. Oh, my right? goodness. I, I had no idea because for the last year, year and a half, I, I worked in a, a school district at lots of different schools doing IT. Yeah. So that meant that I'm, you know, again, the alien anthropologist observing behavior, <laughs> this yeah. strange alien species that is human. And uh, and I'm sitting there, you know, trying to update software or whatever, do junk. And um, and I'm seeing all these what they what they refer to in the school system as the the um, the hidden curriculum. Have you ever heard of that? No. It, they're teaching kids a bunch of stuff about sit down straight do what you're told, um, obedience, you know, obedience compliance. Yep. Right. And yep. not only that, but also like how to be embarrassed and when to be embarrassed and when to be yep. ashamed. And I, amen. Thank you for saying what you just said. I thought I was the only one, but I was like, Oh, cause I always wondered, where I learned all those things, you know, where to be ashamed and when to be embarrassed and what's embarrassing and what's shameful, and they teach it in school. It's it's part of the deal, you know. It's not in the book, but it's there. But
1: do you understand that most people naturally live with a whole bunch of shame and embarrassment, and that's the thing that gets them stuck. That I know that's the thing <laughs> that prevents them from. I do know that. Yes, amazing lives.
0: I know, and I right. didn't know where it came from, so now uh, I know. <laughs> Give you another not, example. not just there, though. Um, well, I can give you a very specific example. It was like the teacher was, you know how they have like these, you know, parent events to parade the kids around and their yeah. little things and then they do stuff, right? Yeah. Well, all the teachers are in competition with the other teachers, right? So, you know, some of the teachers take like the, the compliance of their little tribe is is highly rel- reflective of their skill. Yeah. So sure. so well, parents do the same thing. Right. Right. So the 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 they're lining up right, and they're saying like, now don't go and scratch your butt when you're in line because that'll be embarrassing. Right. right. I'm like,
2: oh,
0: I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Yeah. She doesn't care about the kid being embarrassed. She'll be embarrassed.
1: Well, that's exactly it. But right. So, so I'll give you another example. Sure. So this, this four year old kid went to school, had an aggressive outburst. The teacher, um, Gave him some natural consequences and said, look, you know, you can't really behave this way. If you're going to be like that, we're going to have to kind of put you aside because you don't want to hurt the other kids and whatever. Okay. Whatever it was. Right. Seemed fairly reasonable to me. And the kid came home and then. Uh, and basically, and this was before my conversation and, uh, you know, the kid was taken aside and said, okay, well, we have to figure out what punishments are reasonable for you. Should we take away your blanket? Should we, whatever. And, and this client said, well, what do you think? I'm like, the kid got punished. Why does he need to get punished twice? Right. Why?
0: Right. Why do you
1: need to? Why do you feel like you need to add to it? He had a hard day. Maybe he could use a little compassion, right? <laughs> wow. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, what you're trying to do is help himself soothe when he's upset. And if that blanket helps himself soothe, why take it away from him?
0: Right. You're just piling on at that thing.
1: Right? Like, really?
0: Yeah. Oh. You know, give him me.
1: tools to help him manage himself. If the blanket is one of those tools, give him two blankets. <laughs> right?
0: As long as you don't give him some sugary snack, I'm cool well, with it. but do you understand
1: what I'm saying? No,
0: I do. No, yes. I totally so, get it. And I agree. Yes. Right.
1: And yes. So, so in this particular case the client was so receptive, so able to understand and absorb this material and so willing to take full responsibility. It was amazing. Just his level of comprehension. And he he literally implemented it immediately mm. and completely changed the vibe in his house.
0: Right, right. And now I got a question for you because it, to me, it's, there's a there's an important distinction that we're talking about because what you just described you could say that you eliminated a, a disempowering belief, right? But that's not really what you did.
1: What I did was I addressed the beliefs about what is his role as a parent, right? And how you accomplish that,
0: right? Well, right. It's like you pointed out, you know, the as-is state.
1: Well, that he well, didn't I- see, right? Right, and I'm yeah. pointing out that his his beliefs and therefore his behaviors don't actually correspond to what, with he, wants. what he wants with <laughs> what his ch- he- for his children.
0: Right, 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 right. And so
1: when he started to see that 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 doesn't add up, he started to say, "So if I want this,
0: I should do this.
1: I I need to believe this. I need to believe that my kids." have the ability to make some decisions at this age, mm. like whether or not they're hungry. Mm. I need to give them the decision-making power or authority over that. Right. And I can help them make good decisions around that. Wow. Right? But I don't have to step in. Right. Right? And I can give them opportunities to help themselves if they're not prepared to eat at dinner time.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Now, I can much- invite Right. So it, it, it's it's a different way of looking at parenting, mm. and a lot of parents hear what I say and say, "Yeah, but."
0: Yeah, but that what was just I was just about to say what that. About, yeah. What about right.
1: structure? What about what about the rules? Actually, this client said, "What about the rules?" I'm like, "Whose rules? Where do they come from?
0: Who made those up?
1: Who made those up? And why are you so? Uh, why are you holding on to them so strongly?"
0: Mm. Right. Where do those apply?
1: Right? Whose yes. rules? Whose rules? Right? Where like who invented the rule that we have to eat right. lunch at noon?
0: Yeah, but yeah. I was up, that was gonna be my next question. I, I was like, I bet you get a lot of pushback.
1: Well, because on, on
0: because these sorts of things. I know, this, I know. I, this
1: subject in particular right. causes a lot of tension for adults because they've grown up in a certain parenting style and, and it's that's so just the way it's deeply it is. entrenched. Right. Yeah in their DNA, that it's kind of like shaking up their core foundational way of looking at life. Mm. And that's what I'm here to do. <laughs> that's
0: what you're here to do. You're here I mean. to give us an HOS upgrade.
1: What does that mean?
0: Human operating system.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> that's correct.
0: It's nerd speak for your job. <laughs> I
1: the OS one, but the HOS, H-O-S.
0: One. Human, why not? <laughs> what else would you be doing? So let's let's do another one. I mean, let's say you got somebody that really wants to lose weight. What does that look like? Because I really want to lose weight. I want to lose like forty pounds and be on American Ninja Warrior to make my wife really happy.
1: To make her happy. Well, as long as you're doing it for her, game (laughs) over. Game over. You can't do it. Right.
0: Everybody says they're doing it for somebody else. Yeah, but if you
1: if if you pay attention to what I just did, is I'm listening to your language. I'm listening to your intent. I'm listening to why you're doing things. I'm listening to your beliefs. And one of the questions I would have is, do you actually want to lose weight? Right. Or are you perfectly content? living the way you are because you get great pleasure out of food and so if the reason you really want to lose weight has to do with some outside force well Mm. you know let's Mm. examine that what is it that you really want and why do you want that right 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 so i mean that's where we begin it we begin
0: hello Hello. I thought you had just dropped off there for a second. No, no,
1: I'm still here. It's just that I get passionate, and so sometimes passion has to be emphasized with a stop. With a stop. That's right.
0: That we both did it at once. (laughs) That was great. So, okay, yeah, I get that. So, if. If you have a client that says they want to lose weight, you're just going to go through the same system sort of thing. Well,
1: uh, yeah, right, yeah. because losing weight is a subject like any other subject. So, I right. look at how they think about it. I look at, you know, uh, any beliefs that prevent them from lining up their actions with losing weight. Right. And again, I'm not a weight loss expert, but what no, I no. do is no, I, yeah. I look at the relationship between thoughts and outcomes. Right. Right. So what I want to say is this, is that a lot of people who want to achieve a certain goal. So you say, I want to lose weight. And in your mind, you're saying, okay, well, I have to do these things. I have to eat differently. I have to drink water. I have to go to the gym. I have to do all these things. And then so you start doing these things for like a week or two weeks or even a month. And then something happens. And you're like, oh, man, I got busy that day. And you start skipping (laughs) days, right?
0: Right, right.
1: Right. And so what we always tend to do do is attack our goal by taking action, by creating a list of things to do and, and moving into the doing mode. What we never do is we never address our thinking first. And so mm. that's why we take on um. so many projects and never succeed because the do, doing follows thought,
0: but Always. we never yeah. address our thought. Right. Mm. Yeah. Right. Right. right and right.
1: So, so many times we attempt to do things, but our thinking isn't actually lined up with, with the goal. Right. And unless our thinking is lined up with the goal, then our efforts will be fruitless. It'll be kind of like being on a treadmill going nowhere very fast. <laughs>
0: right? And so, and, yeah, and that's the idea. And the other thing you said was important too is like, as soon as I said, I want to do it for my wife, you're like, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Because it's not yours. Yeah. You have to have an intrinsic desire, uh, an internal desire. You actually want to want to.
1: Well, that's, a, that's definitely a huge part of it. But right. And even sometimes when we really, really want something, sometimes we still can't get it. We can't get there. And you have to keep
0: to do doing those, those those whys, right? Why? Why do you want to?
1: Well, it's yeah. only why do you want to. But so one of my big questions is why not? Not why, but why not? Right. Right? So yeah, yeah. I, I really want to lose weight. Okay, so why haven't you? Why not?
0: Right, right. Why not? Well,
1: because it's hard, because I don't have time, because I like eating with my family, because all those reasons and all those reasons reflect your thinking and all those reasons reflect your beliefs. And unless those are addressed, then moving into a state of action will not lead you to your goal. And so for whoever's listening and you want to reach a goal or you're struggling with something, the first step is to look at your thinking and how your thinking is affecting your ability to reach your goals and write it really down. Important. And write it down. And write it down.
0: Every day. <laughs> Every day. Man, you could just do that with everything. I mean, yes. I mean I, I I don't want to disencourage anybody from like uh, hiring Kim because she's awesome and you can learn more about all that is Kim Addis at frameofmindcoaching.com. Yay, another plug. Yeah. <laughs> um but if if I just start, like, journaling again and asking myself these questions, like, why, why not, right, in my journal and then answering those as honestly as I can, I'm going to learn things.
1: You're going to learn things. And if you do it with a coach, you learn things a lot faster. Right. <laughs> oh, <I'm> sorry.
0: <laughs> no, you for it. sure. You,
1: you just you're, – Because you're, when you, don't show,
0: your, travel, your, yeah, you, you yeah. don't show your – Yeah. You don't show – if you don't show anybody your journal, then it's kind of just like your secret.
1: Well, but it's okay. You can do this work on your own. So right, right. when you have trained eyes, you just travel at a remarkably quick pace, mm. right? And you, you, you see things that you can't see on your own and you, you uncover things faster and you're just, your clip is a lot faster. Amen. Yeah.
0: This has been a blast, Kim.
1: Yeah, it's been really fun. And
0: it went really fast. It's already an hour and it's time for you to go
1: oh my goodness
0: (laughs) sorry about that (laughs) that's fine I'll go (laughs) (laughs) so Kim Addis at uh, frameofmindcoaching.com thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer Um, you can come back anytime you want because you're a lot of fun and I'm sure we can catch up and talk about all things Kim Addis again anytime you
1: want thank you so much and thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast
2: all right have a good one thank you Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer.